Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. All right, well, God bless you all and welcome. Uh, I'm sure excited about today as we conclude our faith series and on true faith. And uh, thinking about that, um, uh, I came up with kind of, a, I'm kind of a quirky guy, so the title of my teaching is faith in it or faithing it you know that's how we want to live we want to live by faith and uh, and today you know faith is you know can be pretty simple faith is accepting another man's works we accept what Jesus Christ has done for us and by accepting his works that gives us access to our Heavenly Father and everything that he made available so accepting that you know there's no works that we can do. It's not Old Testament things that we're doing to try and, you know, be in right fellowship with our God. We accept what he did, and man, that opens great doors for us to do other things. So as we do do works with believing, serving, giving, all that, great blessings come and flow through to us. So let's go to the book of James. Uh, James, uh, he was the Lord's brother. I mean, his half-brother, you know. So if anyone could have got away with doing a lot of different things, you would think it'd be someone that's in that tight with the Messiah. And he shares a lot of wisdom in this very short little book. And I like to read some of those verses and see how they uh, apply to another man's life that we're going to examine from the Old Testament that definitely lived by faith. So verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking what? Nothing. That's right. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one that doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. So if I think about that wave, I got a pretty good mind picture. I served in the Navy and was out to sea, and I was actually in state five seas, which is like hurricane four seas. So when it says a wave that's driven by the sea, we're talking about 35-foot swells. That's how much the sea is heaving. And you really can't get much of anything done when the boat is heaving like that. Just walking down the corridor is a task. You know, your hands on the wall. Sometimes you're walking on the wall. Sometimes you're walking on the floor. Then you're on the other wall. Hard to get anything done. Eating? Forget about it. You know, you just kind of have to ride the storm out until that happens. We want to be fully persuaded about what God says, what he says in his word. It's true. It's something that you and I can apply to our lives and count on. Sometimes you might learn a good phrase or some catchy thing that they say in, in uh, society. Well, if it's based on the scripture, amen, live that. Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. But the word is truth. And when we apply truth, we get results. And it says steadfast. So you might not see it the first time you try to do it, right? 
it takes work at it sometimes. Let's go to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts how many people? Nobody. No one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, because each person when is when but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We know the wages of sin are death. We don't want to go down that road. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Meaning no matter what angle we look at God, there's never darkness. He only radiates light. He only brings forth good things for us. So what happens? Uh, how does bad stuff happen even when we're doing the right thing? It's just life. It's the, what we are uh, exposed to in a fallen world. You can be doing everything right, and sometimes you're just faced with adversity, whether it's health, a financial thing, dealing with people sometimes. Hell, you ever have problems with people? <laughs> right? Sometimes stuff happens. But the thing is, is when things are calm, when you're not going through state five C's, that's the time to fortify your mind with the word. Hang out with fellow believers that help strengthen you, that help teach you the word. So when the challenges come, you've got something to draw on. You're not scrambling for your life vest. You've already got it on. It's the word of God. That's what's keeping your self-bolstered so prepare when things are calm let's go to James chapter 2 and in uh, verse 14 what is what good is it my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. Sometimes you got to help yourself. You know, there's things you can prepare for and do and not just sit around and wait for deliverance to come. There's things that we can be actively involved in. Let's go to verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. <laughs> and uh, ESV has got an exclamation point after that. You know, it puts emphasis. They realize it. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. So, life is not a spectator sport, right? 
it requires participation. If you want things out of life, we've learned that you have to work for them. They set goals and you work to achieve them. Same thing with faith. Faith is not a spectator thing. It requires participation on our part. We get involved. We get involved with our church community. We can get involved with uh, other folks in our community. We get involved in studying the scriptures and putting them on in our mind, and it helps build strength in us so that we begin to change our minds and think more the way God wants us to think. And we can avoid some of the challenges that are out there in life because we're basing our lives off of wisdom, off of truth, off of things that will help us live the best life. One of the greatest kings in the Old Testament lived this way. And uh, some of the things that happened in his life were on par with the greatest miracles that happened, even like the parting of the Red Sea. But he was active in doing his best to live for God. So let's turn to Second uh, Chronicles 32. This is definitely an individual that was faith in it, so to speak. <laughs> Second Chronicles 32, verse 1. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking, or said, to win them for himself. All these things. We learn about Hezekiah at about the age of 25, he began to reign. And uh, when he did that, he was very zealous for God. He tore down these places that were erected to other gods and went in and removed uh, even uh, the uh, serpent head that they showed during Moses' day that had been kept in the ark. He cut that thing up. Anything that took people away from putting their focus on the true God, he tore it down. So he was very zealous for God and got people to come back to doing things the right way and focusing on Yahweh. And you would think, man, someone's doing a lot of stuff. God is going to like make his life. No. It's not like when you are uh, immersed in God and trying to do the right thing that all of a sudden this bubble is formed around you and you just kind of float through life and nothing's going to mess you up. That's not how it works. So here it is. Sometimes when you are doing great and you're doing all the things you should be doing and, and you got your mind on right, Challenges come intentionally from the adversary. So uh, here's the situation this king is in. And, verse 2, When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city. And they helped him. So this word officers, it's interesting when you look at it in the Septuagint, it's the word elders. So he had an elders meeting. He called together some of the uh, people that were um, leading in the situation and said, man, what can we do here? And they came up with a game plan of what to sit around and wait to happen. No, what to do? <laughs> they said, look, these guys come here. Um, I didn't know if they knew it back then or not, but a person can only go three days without water. Then you're in some big time trouble. So why should we nourish an army that's sitting outside of our wall? So they stopped up the waters. Also, if you read in, a, uh, in Kings, 
they dug a conduit that was uh, like over 2,000 feet long underground, and it still exists today, that you can go and see where they went to this pool where they were able to get water so the city could have it, even though they stopped up all the springs and the things around there. So they're doing what they can to try and get ready. The war hadn't started yet, but they were getting ready. Verse 5, he set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised, tower, and raised towers up upon it. Outside he began, and outside he built another wall, and he strengthened the Milo in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. So, actions. He's preparing. He sees what's coming. He made offensive weapons. This word arrows, or what is, how is it here in the ESV? Uh, weapons. Arrows it is in the King James or, uh, Version, but it also means darts, darts of offense, and shields. They were also... Um, uh, their defense weapons. So they were making offensive weapons and defensive weapons, getting prepared. Now this army that come, it's not just like some little army, like, hey, you know, this is like a major force that had conquered several kings and several lands and, and tore down their gods and did all these types of things. And they had come to Jerusalem and they were set to try and take that city also for themselves. So Hezekiah was taking action with his people. So he didn't do it himself. There was a lot of things going on. A lot of people were involved. It says that he repaired the wall and he built it higher. He built it up to the levels of the towers. So that makes it hard for people to get over, obviously. And it says he built another wall. They found, archaeologically, a wall that was 7 meters thick, which is equivalent to about 23 feet. <laughs> So the battering rams and all the other stuff, so they were definitely fortifying their defenses to get ready against this world power type force that was coming at them. And something else I like to think about too, he wasn't in this alone. Not only did he have the people, but he also had a prophet that was working with him at the same time. There's a whole book that this guy wrote. His name is Isaiah. And uh, so they were going back and forth and that. One thing about Hezekiah that I really appreciate is he was trying to do everything he possibly knew to do. And he even um, did some things were not right. Uh, he took some precious metal that was dedicated to God and tried to pay off the people that came, give him like this bounty, say, look, we'll give you this, just leave us alone. Well, that wasn't enough to satiate him. So he thought about, hmm, you know, the Egyptians, those dudes are really strong. They got huge armies too and everything. Maybe we can get them to come fight with us and everything. And Isaiah's like, hmm, <laughs> that's not a good idea. You know, we don't necessarily need that. So he took the counsel of the prophet at the time. So he's working with his people. He's working with the prophet. He's doing everything he knows to do to try and secure his kingdom. It isn't just about himself but he cares about God's people as well, doing everything within his power to try and protect them from this uh, conquering uh, nation. 
verse 6. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate in the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and the whole and all the horde that is with him. For there is more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Man, that is really something. So this man came out and he talked to him. He took that information he got from Isaiah. And they knew that they were small, stuck inside these walls. And this huge army that was incredibly massive that was looking at them, he told them there's more with us than is with them. Man, they really had to rely on that. You know what I mean? With them as an arm of flesh. And it looks pretty powerful. When you look over the wall, it's pretty daunting all they brought to bring to pass there. But they got the Lord our God on our side and the people rested or leaned on the words of Hezekiah. He spoke directly to their hearts. So they must have really appreciated him as a leader. They saw what he did to try and get people drawn back to God. All they had done in preparation for that. And even though they are small compared to this massive army that's outside, they took confidence in what Hezekiah had to say. Let's go to verse 9. After this, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, who was besieged, besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you, should, you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you? that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you the Lord our God will deliver you from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away the high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem? Before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifice. Sacrifices? That's interesting. So he's trying to say, look, this guy that took away all your gods, you know, because then you have more gods to pray to and more gods that might stand on your side because these other guys that we went up against, they had their gods, we took them out. Now he's got you down to one god. This guy has narrowed you down to one god and you think that that god is going to stand up against this army? that has conquered all these other nations and taken their gods into custody and ground on the powder. So he's really trying to work them over from a mental state, that whole mental warfare thing to wear them down. Interestingly, the people stayed tuned in to what Hezekiah said, not what this professional trash talker was doing. <laughs> I mean, they had a long suit in that, and I wonder if there was some spirit involved in all of that too for the way that he could 
lay these words out to try and erode people's confidence and try to beat them from the inside out. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of all of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. Now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion. I wonder if at some point they, they were on the side saying, blah, blah. Wow, I wish this guy would just shut up, you know what I mean? God, just go away. We'd rather fight than just even listen to you talk, you know? Because that guy just went on and on. Uh, let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him. For no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my father's. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? Now, it's interesting. The believers are hearing this. The people on the other side of the wall and Hezekiah's hearing this and Isaiah. They're taking note that they're not just assaulting the people and their intelligence and their thoughts. They're really laying this on God. This guy is making a verbal assault against Yahweh. And they're like, <laughs> you really want to go there and do that? <laughs> and his servant said, still more. So he's just running that mouth. Said, still more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. And he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, so you ever hear propaganda leaflets? It's kind of like that, just all these negative things. Now, it's not only is he saying it, he's putting it in writing and sending it, and somehow these messages are making it in there. To speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the land who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it, and with a loud voice, and in the language of Judah, to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall, to frighten and to terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke to the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the works of men's hands. Verse 20. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, prayed because of this and cried to heaven, and the Lord sent an angel. How many? An angel, one. <laughs> Who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. When you go back to um, Second Kings, it's 185,000. That's a huge ratio, one. I mean, we've got some super warriors, a part of our congregation. Ask them if they'd like to go up against 185,000 to one. One angel in one night took all those dudes out. That's amazing. And there's historical documents that back that up as well. 
verse 20, continuing on. So he returned with the same, with shame of face to his own land. And when he had come into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. These individuals did everything they knew to get ready for this war. Hezekiah, with the counsel of the prophet, spoke to the people. They came up with a plan. They made darts and shields in abundance. They built up the walls of the city in preparation for this attack. And in the process of all of this, stopping up the water and digging a conduit and everything else, all their acts that they took to get ready, nothing should be diminished from that. You and I in our lives, we do everything we can to get ready for different things that come up in life. We plan ahead. We save, exercise, whatever it takes for us to be healthy and well. We apply the principles of God's word. It doesn't excuse us from participating. So our faith, we get ready. And sometimes, whatever it takes for us to be delivered, it may be as miraculous as parting the sea or decimating a whole army in a night without even firing one arrow. That's amazing. That's what our God can do for us. Nothing has changed from the old to the new. And we are encouraged to continue to believe, to have faith, to trust in our God, to fortify our minds. Be ready. And sometimes we don't even have to take a step. We won't even have to fire an arrow. God will deliver in an amazing way. And if he doesn't, we've done all that we can. And something else is about that's really interesting. Even in the course of this life, it's if it's a health battle or some other type of challenge that causes us to leave this life that we have now, that is all very short in comparison to all eternity that we'll spend with our God. Because in the future, it's the ultimate healing. So whatever we're dealing with in this life, in the future, no more death, no more crying. It's already been won because we have accepted the works of another man. We've accepted Jesus Christ and have been put in perfect fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And we have that to look forward to. Total healing, great fellowship. I couldn't imagine what it's going to be with being with all y'all, previous family members, ancestors, whatever it is. Maybe it's you're the first generation and you'll see all your children in the future that you'll have. I can hardly imagine how great that's going to be. And in this life, as we participate and do our best, God is going to get in there and bless us exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. God bless. Heavenly Father, we sure love you and are so amazingly thankful for the great things that you have done for us already in this life and for future victories and for future blessings. We are incredibly thankful. Thank you for your word that shows us what a tremendous, faithful God you are and that you give us the privilege to participate with you, that we can partner with you in this life so that it is the best. And for the challenges that we face in life, Father, we know that you didn't put those things upon us, but it's that your desire that we do prosper and be in health, that you are our God with us through all these things. And as we continue to build our faith and our trust in you, 
you continue to reveal yourself to us either miraculously or just through your word or through conversations with fellow believers and uh, all of that. Father, we just are grateful for what you have done and this whole life that you've given us in this beautiful planet that we live on that we can enjoy your manifold blessings in so many ways. And Father, we're thankful for just uh, our church community that we have, that we can fellowship with folks that um, remind us of how great you are and can help us get through our different challenges as we take counsel with uh, the different things that we face. So thanks for this and for your son, Jesus Christ, who uh, made it available for us to have this great relationship with you. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.